In conclusion, this book, while excellent in its analysis overall, welcome to bring together the, the, the theories and methods of two different fields of study, social history, detailed enough so that more seasoned researchers will find I'm Robert Castanello. I'm the Vice President of Research and Publications at HNET, and this is the Art of the Review podcast. I'm Yelena Kalinsky, Managing Editor of HNET Reviews. And this is a podcast where we examine reviewing and criticism as an academic form. This podcast is brought to you by HNET and the University of Central Florida's Center for Humanities and Digital Research. Welcome to the Art of the Review podcast. Okay, this episode we're calling The Living Review. And this episode came about because of the discussion we were having at HNET concerning one specific review. And this was a review that was published and there was a question about some wording that was in the review. And Yelena, do you recall the specifics about what happened to this review? Yeah, um, I won't go into naming names, but it was a review that a reader who was mentioned in the review came back to us. And so uh, we had to go back and think about whether the language that was in this review uh, was really merited. And in the end, we ended up in conversation with the network and the editor on the network. We ended up changing one word in the review. Now, we should preface this that we, we did this in consultation with the actual reviewer. We didn't do it without the reviewers. Um, permission. Yeah, so the theme that came out of it is what happens when you do have the opportunity to return to a review um, and to think about it uh, subsequently. Right, and I mean, that was one of the things with this particular problem is a, a person flagged something in a review, we went to the reviewer, and the reviewer thought about it and said, you know what, I, I, do, I would like an opportunity to change this. And it inspired us to think, well, what happens if you return to a review at a later point in time? And, and we decided to build an entire episode around that concept, not necessarily the review we've been talking about, but a, a different review. And one of the things that I thought was interesting and, and we could take a look at is reviews from the first year of the review program. So we looked for reviews that were published in 1993 or 1994. That would have been that first sort of um, launch of H reviews um, back when, when HNET was just a listserv. And Elena, do you recall the difficulty we had finding someone <laughs> to do this? Well, careers are long, but H HNET is longer. Right. Yeah. I think most everyone we found, because I remember you and I were going back like, this would be a great person. They were either retired or deceased, unfortunately. And so we had a really hard time finding someone and we ended up finding someone. And then, you know, the idea there became, well, what about this, this notion of the living review and giving someone who was in that first kind of generation of reviewer an opportunity to look back on the review they published? Because, you know, one of the things that sold HNET back in the day when it was launched was the idea that you would be able to publish reviews online and they would exist online. There wouldn't be someone subscribing to a journal that would then end up on a person's shelf and only the subscribers of the journal or libraries would have access to it here. Access would be wide open. And so this really kind of, uh, I think, provokes the idea that you could return to something. Yeah, exactly. The archive, the entire HNET archive and the HNET reviews archive is accessible. So it gives people the opportunity to comment, to go back and reread, to rethink. So that's something that we want to do here in this episode. And so, Yelena, so if, if, is there anything in your 
written published record that you would be um, reluctant to return to? I don't think so. I think I was very uh, choosy about my venues and my words. <laughs> <laughs> I shudder because I've written so many reviews over the years, and I can't imagine going through all of them. And, and I'm certain there's something I probably would be uh, sheepish about um, <laughs> taking a second look at. But um, we did find a brave soul, and in the second segment of the episode, we're going to uh, explore this in more detail. Elena, we did eventually find a, a guinea pig for this project. Could, could you introduce to our audience who this is? Sure. So the person that we found is James Struthers. He is a professor in the Canadian Studies Department at Trent University in Petersburg, Ontario, Canada. James reviewed a book by Susan Peterson, who is a historian at Columbia University now. But back then, this was her first book. It's called Family Dependence and the Origin of the Welfare State, Britain and France, 1914 to 1945. Um, so let's just uh, hear James Struthers introduce himself. I'm James Struthers, and I'm a social policy historian. I teach in the Canadian Studies Department at Trent University in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. Okay, so Elena, when did you become involved with HNET? And I mean, were you, were you a subscriber before you joined HNET staff? Definitely, I was a subscriber to H Art Hist and to H Russia and to H Soyuz while I was a graduate student. And uh, when I moved to East Lansing, I did not know that Michigan State University was the home of HNET. Uh, but I found out, and that is how I came to work for HNET. Um, but I started out as a subscriber and very much appreciated the information that I received in my inbox all throughout graduate school. You know, I first uh, I first found out about HNET. I was in graduate school um, 20 years ago, and I remember a professor came to class with these printed up flyers that said, did you know there's this HNET thing and handed it out to everyone? Why don't you get on HNET and find out what it is? And so many of us went, at the time, we all had email addresses and there was, you know, I guess the nascent uh, internet. And we all became involved with HNET back then. And so the thing that uh, we talked about in this clip was the idea of getting these reviews in your inbox, right? Because, you know, there wasn't really a, a web page presence to speak of back then. And so you would subscribe to a network, and then you would get these discussions, you would get these reviews and things like this. So I can't tell you how exciting it was at that time when HNET launched to be sort of, um, you know, part of that and be able to say, hey, look, you could, you know, get onto your computer and you can say something and some scholar somewhere will respond to it. And especially for graduate students at the time, that was really um, an amazing thing because you would read people's books in class and then you would see them post an email in a, in a list you're involved with. And I, you know, it's so exciting. I hate to sound, you know, like I'm at a rock concert or something like that, but it was almost like that kind of thing. Like you would say, oh my God, I just read that person's book in, in class last week and now they're writing this review or they're posting a comment on this listserv. And so when I talked to uh, Struthers about this, I kind of asked him what it was like to be in that group of people who were writing reviews for the first time. I don't think when he started the review there were many or any reviews that were posted on HNET yet. He was in that first sort of generation, that first group of scholars who put out reviews on HNET uh, soon after its launch. And so it was kind of interesting to see his take about having sort of uh, these, these notions of, oh, what's it going to be like to do this thing online? 
Yeah, it actually it was very novel at the time. I think mainly because I'd not been used to doing electronic writing, and I wasn't sure, first of all, what the distribution would be like or to what extent it was going to be something that would be taken up by other people, the same as publishing a review in an academic journal. Uh, on the other hand, it gave me the opportunity to put my thoughts down on at least an electronic scheme, but a book that I was uh, quite interested in reading and connected me with a much broader international audience than probably would have been the case if I was doing it for, say, a national journal in Canada. So in that sense, uh, I was quite excited at the opportunity. So, Yelena, one of the interesting things that, that Struthers brings in that clip was the idea that you have this wide audience on the internet that could that could read what you wrote. But that wasn't the only advantage to HNET. Yeah, you asked him a little bit about reviewing for H-State specifically, which is this network of scholars interested in comparative welfare state studies. Um, and he talked about how the network itself drew an interdisciplinary community of people who are interested in the subject. So not just historians, but uh, political scientists, policy people, sociologists. So HNET brings that interdisciplinarity. Okay, great. Let's let's hear this clip then. I'd reviewed the book for the Listserv H State, and the people who tended to be involved in that were an interdisciplinary community of scholars historians, sociologists, political scientists who had a particular interest in the politics of the welfare state and social policy. This was a book that was making a really important and innovative contribution to both gender history, uh, the gender politics of the welfare state, which was a burgeoning and developing field in the 1980s and early 90s, and comparative history. So she was making a historical contribution to a field that uh, had, uh, to that point, been dominated for the most part by sociologists and political scientists in terms of comparative public policy and the comparative study of welfare states. So this is one of the first books to actually do a detailed historical archival analysis on a particular public policy, the origin of family allowances and the campaign for family allowances in two nation states, uh, Britain and France, in the interwar years. In that sense, it was both unusual and quite innovative and, and certainly very, very ambitious. So, Robert, you asked James Struthers about the review, what he found looking back at the review. So what did he tell you? Yeah, this was interesting because it was very, I thought, I, I, I mean, I, I read the review, obviously, before I talked to him, and I thought he would probably hit on some other things. But the thing that he mentioned being struck by was the excellent use of comparative history in the original book. And it was something that he wished, looking back now, that he had made a bigger deal about because it was such sort of a, an important moment. He concluded that in the early 90s, there was this, this nascent uh, comparative history movement that was soon emerging, and this book kind of fit into that. But at the time, he felt he wasn't really aware of it. And so this was the thing he wished to return to. And he he does this in this interview clip. He sort of talks about the way in which this work is a contribution to comparative history, but not just in a contribution to comparative history of welfare in Europe, but comparative history in general. He, he sort of makes a really broad argument here for comparative history. Comparative history has not fallen on good times in the last 20 years. It's challenging and it's hard to do. The nation state as a frame for uh, comparative history generally is not as strong as it was when Peterson was doing her work. But I think what her work forces us to revisit is, in fact, what you can learn by doing comparative national policy studies. It was not a conclusion that was based on something you would expect to emerge theoretically. 
from any particular theoretical perspective. It was a conclusion that was, in a sense, unexpected. It was a conclusion that emerged inductively from the comparative research she was doing, and it really underscored the significance of doing comparative history because you end up, by looking at the same policy in the same time period in two different national jurisdictions, you can find some very unexpected results. In this case, that what looks like a progressive policy, in many respects, is a progressive policy, a policy of family allowances, child allowances, aimed at reducing child poverty and improving the equality of men and women with children, emerges as a stronger policy in a country where it's supported by conservative employer or religious or pro-natalist movements than in a country where it's supported by uh, people on the left or by social feminists and opposed by a strong trade union movement. So in that sense, I, I, I think it is worth looking at again today as, as encouraging to scholars in any field, but particularly in the field I'm interested in, which is social policy. Uh, this was a pioneering piece that really uh, shed a light on, on what we can learn by doing this kind of rigorous comparative archival research. Well, Elena, I think one of the things we have to, to consider when, when we we sort of launched this project asking uh, Professor Struthers to look back at a review he you know, first published over 20 years ago, is, is the daunting task, you know, what if, what if you were wrong back then, right? <laughs> what if you wrote and, and panned a book and then the book became a seminal work in a, <laughs> in a field and your review kind of sits there? Um, and, you know, one might be embarrassed of it. But I guess one of the good things about selecting this specific review and this reviewer is that I think he, he – clearly understood the um, the potential of this work and certainly the the trajectory of the author's career because she would she went on and um, produce a variety of um, of works that contributed to our understanding of the welfare state even after this book was published yeah James Struthers told us or he told you Robert that he had been working in a historiographical essay on welfare state studies. And so uh, he had gone back and looked at this review and uh, the book stood up and exceeded uh, his expectations. So let's hear what he had to say. I did have a chance to revisit it last year when I was doing an article on uh, historiography of care in the welfare state. Certainly Susan Peterson's work in this particular book was what I went back to because it was part of that output of second wave feminism in the 1980s the book came out in 94, but her doctorate was based on her doctoral dissertation. It was done in, in the late 80s. And it was part of a project of historians and scholars that were revisiting maternalism, social feminism in the progressive era, in the turn of the 20th century, and seeing what lessons could second-wave feminists learn from first-wave feminists in that time period, especially in the area of social policies that recognize care work. And what Peterson's book shows is that there are definite echoes around our own debates today with respect to the double burden of care work of women today facing both the competing demands of providing child care and competing equally as workers in the labor market today and facing the dual sandwich burden generation of caring for adults, their parents, who are entering real old age in their 80s or 90s, so they're facing a double burden of care. So what I'm getting at here is that the key issues that uh, Susan Peterson was addressing just looking at children and childcare and maternalist policies uh, between Britain and France in uh, the interwar period between 1914 and 1945, the issue of care in the welfare state uh, has become, if anything, even more important, more significant to current public policy debates today as the population ages, as the size of the workforce shrinks, 
And I think the book emerges very strongly. It's cited very widely in French historiography as well as British historiography as well as welfare state historiography. So in that sense, uh, kudos to her for producing a book 20 years later that's still widely read. We'll post related links to this episode on the show notes blog at the H Podcast Network. And you can also go there to read more and share your thoughts on this episode.